scary place. Dark shadows creeping in the moonlight. Unfamiliar sounds surrounding you. Stalking you. Is it a ghost? A werewolf? Or something more? Human. What would you do if you found yourself lost? In the strange woods? Join us as we discuss the paranormal, true crime, and anything in between with your hosts, Jeremy. Can you bless this hoe for me? Jonathan. If they fed off of each other's insaneness. And Peter. Yeah, I'd like to place an order for uh, 25 women. Welcome to the Strange Woods Podcast. So the problem with having an elementary student as a child and a wife who works at an elementary school is that germs just go throughout the household like every other week. This kid is always freaking sick. And then now Brittany's sick. And then now I'm getting sick. And then yesterday our dog was sick. So I don't I don't know what to do, man. How'd <laughs> you get your dog sick? And she just started throwing up and having diarrhea. Jeez. But here's the thing. It was coincidentally after I brought her to the vet she started having stomach issues and they're like, no, we didn't give her a treat or anything, but I feel like they gave her a treat during her <laughs> examination. Like why else would suddenly she just start vomiting all the food out of her system? I don't know, man. I don't trust them. Dog COVID. Yeah. Um, but no, every time the weather changes, I think my kid gets sick and then he always spreads that to us. And then it's just like, if you go to the elementary school, every room is just like a, I don't know, man. It's like a, Petri dish. Yeah, it's bad. It's just like nothing but just productive, nasty sounding coughs from every kid. You know, so it's like you're in some type of whatever medical ward. That's the same when Hannah. Hannah gets it from every kid because she pass. It goes straight through the lunchroom, and she's right there typing in the lunch numbers. <clears throat> okay, so she, so she works in the lunchroom at the school. Yeah. Okay, I couldn't uh, so remember. She I gets like every kid in the school. Yeah, she gets every <laughs> kid. Every kid wants to say hello. Every kid gives her a hug, she said. Yeah, kids love hugging. And apparently, like, just holding your hand. It's weird. <laughs> I don't get it. Anyway, today we're going to talk about the Crescent City, New Orleans. Welcome to episode nine of the Strange Woods podcast. And we have a special guest tonight. Brittany, want to say hello? Hello. Oh, I thought she was I'm gone. Brittany. <laughs> <laughs> I've... T- <laughs> You thought it just got, oh, wow, I was so un- interested in your intro, I just got up and left. Is just rage quit. Rage quit before I even got introduced. <laughs> um, but actually, uh, Peter, did you have a guest story tonight or no? Okay, so I have the other Jeremy. I have another story where he talks about the bad ghost. It's Jeremy Arp again. Here's segment two of the Southland Theater Hauntings. So as I told you before, there's a nice one and a mean one. Now... I had not really paid attention to Mike and Kimball when they said, ooh, watch out for the mean one. Because, you know, it's before I even found out about the friendly one. So my first incident with the mean ghost at Southland Cinema was when I was turning all of the breaker boxes off upstairs. I stopped by number four. I was checking the projector and I saw... A ripple behind one of the curtains by the screen. The next thing I know, there was a ripple along the bottom curtain. It started at the left-hand side and very rapidly whipped its way across to the right side of the screen. 
then entire rows of seats started rocking back and forth as it approached the window that I was looking out of. I actually heard something hit the wall and there was nothing in that theater. Incident number two with the mean ghost. My wife and I worked together at the theater and we were going to shut all of the breakers off upstairs. We started at theater three and four. In the theater upstairs, all the projectors are linked by one big room. So we shut down projector four, we shut down projector three. As we were walking into the next room that had projectors one and two, as my foot was going into the doorway, I slammed my hands against the door frame and stopped instantly. My wife ran into me and she looked, looked over my shoulder and she said, what are you doing? I said, babe, we can't go in there. She said, why? And I said, he's in there. She said, what are you talking about? I said, the bad one is in that room. I do not want to go in there. She said, what are you talking about? Stop being silly. I said, no, no. Look over my shoulder to the left hand corner all the way in the back. She looked over my shoulder and she said, I don't see anything. I said, it's that darker, blacker patch of black against the wall. She looked and as soon as she looked, the room got colder. I felt goosebumps pop up on my arms and I'm not one to scare myself. I wasn't tricking myself into believing that something was going on there, but he was there. We backed slowly away. I said, we cannot turn our back on this room. We have to back up until we get around the corner and he can't see us anymore. We backed up all the way to the back staircase, slowly walked down, and as we're walking across the, uh, the lobby, Mike and Kimball looked at me and they went, oh God, you saw him. We can see it in your face. Where is he? I said, he's upstairs by projector two. I didn't finish shutting everything off. I can't. It was one of the few times that I've ever truly been scared to be in a room or in a place like that. It just freaked me out really, really bad. So those were my two run-ins with the bad ghost at Southland. I will be back with more stories. All right. Hope y'all are enjoying. Have a great night. Bye. What do y'all think about that? Yeah, so the bad ghost definitely has a much more aggressive style uh, to, yeah. to his mischief than, than the lady ghost does. The lady ghost? Uh, I, thought, I thought the nicer ghost was female. I don't know if we got a determination on that. Mm. You're thinking because it went to the Q room? No, no, well, because oh. whenever he... Man, I thought when he described the, uh, the facial imprint on the glass, he described it as female. Maybe I misremember. I don't know. We'll have to go back and look or listen. I, I can see how hearing or visually seeing a bunch of theater seats just start slowly rocking towards you in a wave would be quite unsettling, though, especially if it's kind of dark in there. Oh, yeah. And then seeing the uh, the curtains moving like that. I mean, I guess you could call it like an air conditioning hitting yeah, it. Yeah, the curtains at first, you could probably say like, oh, maybe it's the wind catching or there's a breeze some point some sort of air, but I can't think of a way to excuse the simultaneous rocking of a bunch of theater seats all in a row up toward where you are, like a wave coming at you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, like if he's working in that room every day, 
he would know how the air conditioning plays around with curtains as well. So, I mean, yeah, I, I really feel like he would know. There'd be a definite natural look to how AC would move the curtains. So I would imagine if he noticed it, it would have to be different. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I think he knows what his curtains look like at the theater he's there every day. Um, so yeah, no, that would that probably freak me out, honestly, <laughs> if <laughs> if I were to experience that. It's it's definitely strange that without saying anything, he was able to walk into a room and other people recognized what was going on just by his expression. Yeah, like clearly other people have experienced the same thing. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Like if it's that prevalent of a thing where people can pick it out across somebody's face, then it's it's definitely something there. It's something going on. It's it's a pretty prevalent thing. Hey Brittany, um, were you I guess old yes, enough, I guess in your teenage years to did you ever go to the Homa Mall Theater whenever it was actually an operating theater? So if it would have been teenage years for y'all, I would have been a child. Jeremy. No, she's only yeah. what? Uh no, um, two, year, two years younger than me. <laughs> um, I'm three years younger than you. And I don't know how, I don't remember quite my relation with Peter and Jonathan. I think I'm closer to Peter, right? Closer to Jonathan. Closer yeah. to Jonathan. Sorry, Jonathan. Yeah, I'm a few months older than Jeremy. Okay. No, well, no, you're good. So, no, um, don't have a lot of memories from the Southland but I do have a few from when I was a child. Then I remember when we were a little bit older in our later teens, when they tried to reopen it, I think <laughs> we saw like one cheap movie there. I guess what I'm getting at is it, it wasn't a particularly uh, nice and well-maintained place either. No, not when so. you have like the, well, it was called the palace, but now it's just the AMC theaters that down the road was so much nicer at the time. Well, I mean, paying a dollar for old movies, what what else are you going to expect, you know? Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, no. nothing. So I could, it's, it's like slightly run down, you know, the atmosphere's already, because it's an old, especially that part of the mall doesn't have a lot of businesses open. It's already kind of dark in that one hallway. And mm -hmm. yeah, a lot of, you could set yourself up to being in a state of mind where, man, it's a little spooky down here. No one's here. It's just us. Kind of dark already in the hall. This well, like, I, I just mainly remember that cool, I think it was like an orange and red kind of 70s looking bubbly wallpaper that was in there. And I, I think it would be really cool if it's still in there to go like explore it nowadays. Yeah, probably. You know, go in there with like some flashlights and look around. You, you may get killed by a ghost, but. No, that I would mean, definitely be pretty cool. Like. I'm sitting here thinking like as an adult, maybe that was kind of a little dodgy area. Like, should we have been there as kids? Well, it, it begs a question. Is that why the theater can never even stay open? I mean, was it just cursed from the beginning? Yeah, really. Sure. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, I guess getting to the main topic, uh, there were a few New Orleans locations that me and Brittany wanted to talk about tonight. Uh, I think we're going to start with, I guess, the LaLaurie Mansion. And I guess a little bit of background from me and Brittany's perspective was back, God, was it one of our anniversaries? I'm not sure. We we did a, the Haunted History Tour in New Orleans. And sir, sir, that was our our honeymoon. That's what I, like I was saying. Like it was, it was so long yes. ago, I can't remember. You got to excuse him. He's getting old. Yes, he is. <laughs> he's getting very old. It was like 13 years ago. That's what I'm saying, man. Which, oh my God, y'all. Just creeps up on you. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so there were a few of them on that tour that stood out to us. And I think that's what we're going to talk about tonight. 
Um, so actually, so just for fun, let's go with this. We'll go, uh, for my memory from the tour, I'll talk about it and then Brittany will just shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> and Jonathan and I are both going in pretty cold. Like I know a little bit about Lalori, but not too much. Well, so no, first of all, y'all didn't even ask me if I believed in ghosts. Do you believe in ghosts? I do. I think they're real. No. Would I like the paranormal to be real? My little witchy self kind of would like it. Yes. But like, I know it's probably not a lot there. I do, however, be believe in the power of like the folklore that people pass around, especially in a place with culture like Louisiana. So yeah. that's kind of where I stand on that. Also, I'm a huge history nerd, and with ADHD, I just hyperfixate on like those stories. So that's why I know a little bit about a lot of different things history-wise that Jeremy decided he was going to pick my brain for for this episode. <laughs> yeah. So when we're on our tour, we you know we rolled through a few different locations. Uh, but probably one that stands out the most and the one that's kind of commonly regarded as one of the most haunted locations in New Orleans is the LaLaurie Mansion. And the way it was described, of course, from memory, so my memory's not great, is that uh, it was a, a man and a woman, a couple coming from, honestly, don't know where, not important, but he was a doctor and I guess she was a wife of a wealthy doctor and they were coming to help cure some epidemic going on in New Orleans at the time. Don't know it. Was it COVID? It kind of like COVID, but not. And <laughs> uh, so, you know, he's doing his doctor work and stuff. And I think at some point, either he died or they divorced and moved away. And I believe she was running the household and trying to keep up the kind of rich social life. And I believe during one of the parties, I believe one of the slaves working either started a fire or something in the kitchen to bring attention. And then once everybody showed up, it kind of, you know, uh, they started looking around and seeing a lot of mistreated slaves and stuff like that. And there was a locked up room to us more or less supposedly an experimentation chamber where, you know, uh, Madame LaLaurie was, you know, as described, just doing these terrible mutilations and, so the husband didn't live there anymore? I don't think so. And I will get corrected okay. on all of this when Brittany gets to talk. <laughs> <laughs> so what time period was this? Like the 1800s? I want to say late 1700s, early 1800s. Could be wrong about that, but I think okay. that's the right around the same time period. And, you know, the way the tour guide described it was that, and she, of course, embellished a lot of story, a lot of things there. But she said there were like multiple bodies sewed together to look like a, you know, like a caterpillar. Human centipede type stuff? Yeah, human centipede type stuff of like arms oh. being cut off, but the person still kind of vaguely alive and suffering and oh a lot of just God. really horrible things is what she was explaining. So then, you know, that was that part of that history. And then I'm going to go, you know, further down the road of what the tour guide said about the location, about the hauntings was that I believe it's after the civil war, a lot of the houses and locations in new Orleans were kind of either abandoned or getting bought up by other people. So a man bought the mansion and turned the lower portion into a furniture store. And every like 
I'm not say every night, but every so often he'd wake up in the morning and there'd be this weird black, dark mystery liquid all over all the furniture, all the floors and everything to where he thought it was being vandalized, but he could never even identify what the substance was. So at, and this was after all that happened? After all of that. Uh, okay. So yeah, it, it definitely after. Um, I feel like I'm starting to remember some of this from other stories. We're talking about... Uh, Delphine, uh, thanks for name. How you pronounce Marie, it? Marie Delphine Lalori. Yeah, is this the same mansion that? Uh, what's this? How's the story go with the Sultan that had the? It is not also on Royal Street. That's another New Orleans yes. mansion, though, right? Yes, different establishment, okay. same street. It's all kind of haunted street. Fucked up things happen over there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So eventually, I think that furniture salesman just sold the location because he thought it was haunted. Didn't Nicholas Cage own this one? Yep. So yes. <laughs> yes, he did. Okay. So, and the way the the tour guide explained this was that they were doing the tour one day, and at this time, Nicholas Cage owned it. So he happened to walk out onto the balcony and see a large group of people in front of it while this lady was talking about it. So he was just like smiling and waving and thinking it was everybody like, oh my god, it's Nicholas Cage. They all came to visit him, <laughs> and then so he was just confused. So he spot the tour and took the tour when they got to his house and she described all the horrific events that happened there. He sold it, but it, but I looked into it and he sold the house because he was simply broke. <laughs> he ran out of money. So, ah. so he just got his money back and sold it is what actually happened there. Um, but yeah, so that's the gist of how it was explained in the tour plus or minus. So it looks like it was a three store building, right? Yeah, three-story. It is now a three-story building. Oh, it wasn't originally. No, it was... Well, the attic was... Wasn't the attic accessible, though? That's where most everybody was found. There... Wasn't it the attic? Yes, there was a detached... Uh, like like you do back in the old days, you don't want your kitchen, which causes fire, um, attached to your house. So the kitchens were always detached. Their kitchen was detached, and that's where they also had, like... In that building was their kitchen, their slave quarters, and it also had access to an attic storage space like the rest of the building. Hmm. Am I getting stories confused or did Delphine have something to do with a story of a slave that did something to her to disrespect her or she saw it as disrespect and then they don't know if the slave jumped from the balcony or was pushed from the balcony but died in the streets? I think it is. Yeah, so that is a story that um, get kind of gets embellished with her, you know, her mythos at this point. So she she goes by Daphine a lot in her lore uh, as Madame Daphine Lalaurie, but she was born Marie Delphine McCarthy in March of 1787. So her family was Irish. Her grandfather's family um lived in Ireland and they were Catholic and there was a lot of um, religious stuff going on there. Obviously they were being persecuted. There was a lot of tension between Protestants and Catholics. They fled to France because France was Catholic and through France, they took immigration to Louisiana at the time. We're talking early New Orleans with Bienville and everything. New Orleans is not the buildings we know today. So he moves down the river road along the Mississippi and he builds a plantation just south of New Orleans there. Her father had a first wife who died and then he remarried and she was born of his second wife. She has another sibling through that mother. So 
Dauphine was married at the age of 13 on June 11th, 1800 to Juan Ramon de Lopez y Anglio. He was a Spanish officer and he was 35 years old. Gross. So, yeah, gross. Since so most, life sucks from the beginning. Yeah, so most of y'all are close to 35. Yeah. So, and actually, even from her young age, there's a lot of scandal with her first marriage. It seems, you know, some speculate that, you know, a 13-year-old would try to seduce a 35-year-old man, which, I mean, marriage uh, in Louisiana at the time, as long anyone above the age of 12 could get married because that they figured out that um, she had basically consent of herself at that point, but she still needed her parents permission. So, so I guess that was acceptable at the time. Yeah, it was acceptable. I mean, okay, so it wasn't really scandalous at the time. Not, not too scandalous. Her husband was a widower. So at this time when her, Family came to Louisiana and settled there, colonized it originally. It was under the control of France. But at this time, control had been given to Spain. So Louisiana is not under France at this time. It's under Spain. And they sent this an officer who was to be her husband to Louisiana. And on the trip, his original wife dies. Hmm. So she's just so she's just backup chick. She's side chick at this point. She's like wife. Well, I mean, he's thirty five years old. He's unmarried, and as far as the records show, no kids yet. So you know, a man's got to have his lineage, <laughs> and so he's it gets involved with the New Orleans area social scene. Uh, she obviously their fa- her family was very wealthy at the time, so. She's part of the social aristocracy in Louisiana because they do live on a plantation. They already own several enslaved, enslaved persons, um, and they're going through the uh, African slave trade that's coming through the port of New Orleans. Uh, somehow, he gets introduced to this 13-year-old, and their marriage was a cover-up for something. So that's why you get like, oh, she seduced him, oh, he, or I don't know old man probably preying upon a 13 year old or just wants to hurry up and get married but they get married in louisiana but because he is a spanish officer he technically needs permission from spain and the king to remarry and he doesn't get that hmm. so they were f- married for five years and the the scan like the scandal breaks out that he never got permission from the king uh, or spain or his is above in the military, never got permission. He gets summoned back. So they get on a boat and they start traveling. They get to Havana and um, he dies in Havana, leaving his now 18-year-old wife there like at the end of her third trimester because she's pregnant at this point. And she has a, she births a daughter there. She births her daughter, and then she comes back to Louisiana at age 20, so less than two years later. She remarries another widower, Jean Blanc. He's 43 years old. So She's like that old man. Well, it's, I mean, at the time... She has some daddy issues. No. She was it, banking on that, uh, <laughs> that insurance button. It was probably... Counting on him dying from old age. It was, yeah. It was, it was probably normal back then. 
It was normal back then. Also, like a young 20-year-old isn't going to be established and a family probably isn't going to let their younger daughter. It was, there's a whole bunch of different reasons why. And none of them a lot more are, political back then, I guess. Yeah, political. And if you're an 18 year old widow, I'm assuming that probably doesn't look good either. So yeah, I'm she sure. She already had a kid at this point. She gets married to him. Um, he buys a house on Royal Street. This is the first time she gets to Royal Street. And she, they also have a smaller plantation, not like on the outskirts of the property of where her larger family plantation is. So they're very close to her family, specifically her father's plantation with her brothers and all. Um, and so they split their time between going to New Orleans where she likes the social life and then going back to the plantation. They ended up having three daughters and a son and Blanc died in 1815 at the age of 50 when Dolphine was 28. So that's her first two God. husbands out of the way. Out of curiosity in that time period, how common was it for a woman to be widowed multiple times? I mean, like, is she having a bad run, or is this just like how things were? It, I mean, or was she much killing them off? The first husband is rumored to ha like have a suspicious because they don't exactly have records for a cause of death for him. Even though it was all the way in Havana, I, so she's not just a widow; she's a black widow. No, she not could be knocking them off. I don't know with with what eventually happens. Okay, so <laughs> I mean. I didn't, in the book that I have a bunch of my, like, this author, Long, who wrote this book, she did a thorough research, and she actually went through a bunch of records in New Orleans. So I'm just trying to give y'all a preface on, like, the type of person she is before we get into, like, the really graphic stuff, because I yeah. don't want to touch too much. Yeah, yeah. So what, was she known as being, like, a hateful person? Not, not at really? first. Oh, Okay. It starts like, okay, so at this point, her, her second husband was huge into merchantry. He had a bunch of like a jack of all trades kind of thing. Very popular. He had money. She is inheriting money from her father, you know, getting an allowance. Also, around this time, her mom is going to die. She's going to inherit part of that. And then not long after her father is going to pass. And he's going to split his inheritance between the three children and she's going to get some. So she wasn't looking for money. I don't think. She is not she's, looking. At this point. She's well off. At this point, she ha is uh, unlike women in other states or countries in Louisiana. She is not only inheriting in her own right, even as a woman, but she's keeping most of this inheritance. Estates, property including and not limited to both physical buildings and enslaved people. So she's got wealth under her name. At what point does she actually buy this house after the second death? Yes. So here we come with the third okay. husband that Jeremy said was super rich. So in 1825, Dauphine, now a 38-year-old, twice-widowed woman, starts a physically romantic relationship with a new doctor to New Orleans who's fresh off the boat, basically. He's putting out pamphlets. His name is Leonard Louis Nicolas Lalaurie, and he is 23 years old. A, he studied at Toulouse and in Paris, France, and he sought to come make a fortune in Louisiana. So we have a green horn of a doctor. Now she's going for the young one. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. In a city that is not necessarily up to snuff with its 
Parisian namesakes yet. Um, so let's see. So we have a 38-year-old woman and a 23-year-old man, as y'all noted, is a complete reverse from oh, yeah. her, she's first two mama now. her first two marriages. She was the baby, and now she's almost twice her her new husband's age. Well, not her new husband. They are in a physically romantic relationship. And in August 13th, 1827, so two years later, she gives birth to their first son. Ooh, so that must have been scandalous back then, too. So, yeah. So we have a, she's already a huge socialite in Louisiana. And probably real well known, I guess. Yeah. She, she's out there. She's living her best, you know, divorce, uh, like a widower lifestyle, best life. She already has um, four kids. No, five kids at this point who are grown. Her first daughter at this point is only two years younger than the man who just fathered her most recent child. So like your mom's boyfriend is two years older than you. And Delphine's other children are having children. So Delphine is also a grandmother at this point. So we have a granny, a 38 year old granny and a like college frat boy of a doctor. (laughs) So yeah, they get married on January 12th, 1828. But they have the date set back for June 12th, 1825, which you notice is the year they started their relationship, not the year that they had their son because they wanted to conceal the scandal that she was born out of wedlock. Hmm. On this day, when they negotiated her their marriage contract, she was 40 and he was 25 at this point. And she already had basically a net worth of herself with all her properties, both inherited financial and gifted and stuff she bought in her own right at six it's like estimated at like $66,389.58 which in today's money would be a cool 1.9 mil so she wrote in her contract she would retain everything she had before marriage she prenumped him so now their marriage is for real um his practice, he tries to start one in New Orleans. It goes okay. It's not great. They still have, she still has a plantation out on River Road. She prefers it in New Orleans where all her friends are, where she can kind of keep track of her husband's business. And a new construction house comes up on Royal Street in 1831. It's a two-story townhouse. And she liquidates and sells off some of her other assets to buy this house. She puts a down payment on it. I for- forgot the total off the top of my head. I did not put that in my notes. <laughs> and she has like a loan for like 20 grand already on a house. It's fine though. She takes it out in her name. So it's for her, not her husband. So just let that sit into it. Sugar mama making moves yeah. over here. <laughs> making money moves. There actually is, so when the townhouse is finished, she moves her family in there. And when I say family, um, it's her and her children by her most recent husband, so LaLaurie, and then um, like the younger ones from her previous marriage. Her older ones are either, her daughters are, older daughters are married off, and she even has a son who went off to Yale at this point. So she moves her family into the house, and I have a quote from... 1828, when they, uh, where someone is like, to, just to tell you how their marriage is at this point, 
It says the she married a young French doctor newly arrived in the city. They do not have a happy household. They fight often, separate, and then return to each other, which would make one believe that someday they will abandon each other completely. So it's known around town. These two people do not get along. And here we go. She just bought a house and they move in together and it gets worse. Or she bought a house for her exit strategy. Well, so in Louisiana, uh, there is, at the time, the way divorce works is you can separate yourself. Like a husband can divorce his wife for something like infidelity or sometimes just because he wants you if you know the right guy. But a woman cannot divorce for infidelity. She can divorce if he brings his mistress into their common abode. So if like... He brings his mistress to live in the house with him. She can divorce him. Or if he is um, beating her, like if it, they, he makes the living conditions uninhabitable, uh, she can file for divorce. She actually, her and her one of her sons go and file a complaint that he was mistreated, that Lori was mistreating her very badly. And then... They didn't divorce because she couldn't divorce him, but they could. Uh, they decided to separate room and board. So he actually moves out of the house and moves like to another part of the city, not too far, but not cohabit cohabitating with his wife anymore. So he's not even living there. No, he's not living there. Okay. And after around this time when her marriage is starting to get bad they're putting they're putting on facebook that it's uh it complicated right it's complicated yeah yeah it's it's complicated at this point and this is the time where the rumors of how bad lalori is treating her slaves starts getting put around town um you have people who are actually like of course you know you got to spill the tea they're hearing the screamings, they're noticing that she'll, she beats them. And in Louisiana, there's the Code Noir at this time, which is a little bit stricter than some of the other racial, like, not racial codes. I don't, I'm trying to like make sure I'm being very respectful to these enslaved peoples. Right. So the Code Noir um, said that you cannot mutilate or kill your slaves. And it had other rules that which you had to abide by. And in Louisiana, you had to you had to teach them French. They had to speak French. Most of them also. Really? But, yep. They had to be fluent in French. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was like rules that were a little bit stricter than like what the Americans were doing in the colonies at this time. And um, in America in general, because at this point in like 1831, there, it's a full we're close to Civil War stuff. Um, so her, she gets in trouble for beating her slaves because she's mutilating them and she's being too rough and it's known that she's not good. Now, um, y'all both brought up the little girl falling from the two story that happened. So her neighbor across the street heard shrieking coming from the house. And when she went outside to look, I guess on her balcony, she looks across the street at the balcony on the Lori mansion. And Dauphine is chasing this little girl. Some sources say eight, some say 12, chasing this little black slave girl throughout 
the house. You can, she can see them going like coming in and out of balconies, uh, out of doors, on the levels, going everywhere. And she finally, Delphine finally corners this poor little girl on like a corner balcony with a bullwhip. She has a bullwhip in her hand the whole time and she goes to lift it up. And I don't, some sources say the little girl jumped. Some say she fell over the railing, but the little girl falls from the second story and lands in plain sight of everyone. She lands on the, like in the, I don't know if it's, some say directly on the, like the sidewalk and some say it just inside the corridor, uh, other little courtyard that most houses in Louisiana have, but mm. like you want to talk spilling the tea, like the neighbors, everyone sees this and you know, she has people go in, they take the little girl's body and they bury it on the property. So that's what happened with the little girl. So now we got a pissed off little girl. I mean, <laughs> yes, at, there is at least one little girl's corpse on this property buried. Jesus. Yeah. And, and if I remember right, during the tour, that was a ghost that you could see was, you know, this, whatever child, either on the balcony or falling into the courtyard. Yeah. Um, um, a lot of people online, especially, so in, gosh, what do I have in my, I think, if I remember right, they started like, this story has always been sensationalized. And a couple of decades ago, they started writing, you know, one person would write, oh, this little girl was named this. And then another website would take that as a source and run with it. So they get, usually give the little girl a name, Lay or Leia. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, but in and the original Supposedly record, she was like pulling her hair accidentally with a brush. So that is the story that's going with it, but they don't, that was not like in the evidence or in the court ruling for any of that. So again- Not confirmed, right. It's not, allegedly, that is what happened. But again- the story is so sensationalized, you know, one person takes it and runs with it. Like a bunch of people will tell you that she fell from the third story. That third story did, did not get put in. It's more recent. It was not there at the time. It was a two story building. I knew I had heard this story before. So yeah. So, I mean, but I guess it, it kind of has to get sensationalized a little bit. I mean, it's one of New Orleans's most popular haunts, at least in the French Quarter. Yeah, and I mean, she, she, what she did was horrific. When you treat a people, especially a slave people, you know, not the best treated marginalized group in society, but when what you're doing is so bad to these people that the neighbors who are also doing terrible things look at you and go, damn, what is your problem? Like, that is not right. okay. You should not be doing that. Like, what is wrong with you? Then you got to look like Delphine was known to be super aggressive and violent with her, her slaves, her enslaved peoples. Was it out of hate? Like, was she just hateful in nature or was well, it like just. We, okay, let's go. Let's go back. So we have a girl married at 13 who lived a very entitled, wealthy life up until this point, probably got her way, you know. So just like a sense of entitlement. I'm better than you. She's an elite socialite. So. And then um, I don't have the dates for this next part written down for some reason. But basically, at one point, she does have her slaves taken away from her because of the violence. Like she gets charged. You can get charged in Louisiana at the time. You could get fined um, no more than $500 and no less than $200 um, under the Code of War for some of the um, 
transgressions, I guess, against slaves. So she gets her slaves taken away. They get sold because she got charged with uh, and fined for her brutality against them. They get sold at auction, and her friends and family show up to the auction, buy them, and give them back to Dauphine. So they escaped one nightmare to be to think they were saved, <laughs> yeah. to think they might have been okay, and then all of a sudden end back up in the same nightmare. Yes. So they're like, well, this sucks, but at least we're not going to be with her anymore. Oh no, look who's who's here. Yikes. Yeah. Um, now, the, the quote-unquote torture room happened, was found after a fire. So, um, the fire happens um, online and a lot of places. It says that it um, happened during like a big party and a little slave girl escaped and jumped from the roof and landed in the middle of the party going on in the street. Um, the research that I've done and the book that I've read had that the party uh, did not happen, or at least it's not when the fire started. The fire started on April 10th in 1834 in the morning. So most uh, sources say that the person who started the fire was an older enslaved woman. Uh, Oh, so it was on purpose. Yes. So oh, okay. fire I thought starts. they were like cooking bacon or something. No. No, on purpose, but she was also, from what I've seen, chained up. So she, it was almost a sacrifice to try and... Yes. It seems like it was a sacrifice to save the others. Yeah. Um, I actually have, have an excerpt. So in the morning, fire started. And in LaLaurie Street, Royal Street, I guess there were other, um, you know, probably... Wealthy people live there. Um, on her street, there was a, also a judge and a lawyer that were her neighbors down her street. So the fire starts in the kitchen and um, it starts getting big. And the judge, you know, it's a spectacle at this point because everybody's got to come watch the fire. And fire brigade is showing up. Police are showing up. And the judge says to Lori the husband, not Delphine, um, he's there. The uh, husband is there, Leonard. He's like, hey, um, he says something along the line of like, hey, can we, you know, we're worried about yours. Have the slaves removed to a place of safety is his exact quote. And Lori looks at him and says, quote, with much rudeness, that there are those who would be better employed if they would attend to their own affairs instead of officiating, intermeddling with the concerns of other people. Basically, oh, so he was a douchebag too. Yeah, basically, I don't want to give you my keys and I'm not going to open, like, that's not my priority now or my problem because he's just So is it thought that he knew, did he know what was going on? Probably. Did he care? Who knows? Because he's I, wa- he's watching the fire happen. He's also watching his neighbors and other people, and I guess probably also other bystanders and slaves, like take out his expensive, like 
you know, the expensive artwork and furniture is trying to get be moved out of the house. Instead of the people. Yeah. What a nice guy. Yeah. I mean, well, let's be real. He probably, honestly, probably didn't know the extent at which of what she was doing to the, you know, slaves and everything too. Cause I'm sure it was all behind closed doors and I'm sure she was great at manipulating him and well, probably like he's, he's gaslighting him into thinking, you know, she wasn't doing as bad a stuff as what he would think, you know? Well, it sounds like somebody that wouldn't really give a shit anyway. Yeah. yeah. So the judge got mad and told, um, ordered that the doors be broken down to the thing. And in the newspaper, the local newspaper, they said, the citizens who entered the service were greeted by appalling sight as several wretched negroes emerged from the smoky interior, their bodies covered with scars and loaded with chains. And among them, a female slave upwards of 60 years of age. Basically, they pull, they go in, it is super smoky, and they see, you know, slaves all chained up, men and women, about, uh, I think, um, are all chained up or have broken free or some are loose and are trying to break down the door, but they really can't get to it. So they pull them out. They pull about uh, seven slaves, more or less horribly mutilated, suspended by the neck with their limbs stretched and torn from one extremity to the other. They had been confined for several months in this situation, which they had thus been Provently rescued and had merely kept, in essence, to prolong their suffering and to make them taste all the most refined cruelty could inflict. Um, the elderly lady, I'm going to say, whose great age should have created pity, had declared to the mayor that it was she who set the house fire with the intention of terminating the suffering of herself and her companions are perishing in the flames. So yeah, you're right. The lady did start the, the old ladies she started the fire to either commit herself or the rest to the fire to just get them out of the situation they were in with Lori. that's how bad of a person she was and i'm not gonna go into like some of the other like i want to not turn into a gore yeah i think people that are yeah. wanting more detail they can research it themselves yeah also the quote-unquote um, bone breaking and the weird hole and stuff that a lot of that is fantasized and just upped. Uh, these people were mostly chained. And if you look online, you can see some of the um, pieces of metal collar type instruments they would put on enslaved people at the time. They're no joke to begin with. You don't need to add all that extra gore porn, basically. Like, yeah. So, was she like experimenting like scientifically or just being no, cruel? She's just, I think she's just a violent person. Or just had nothing better to do. Yeah, she either had nothing better to do or she's a person in a place of power who's not getting her way one way or another. Or, I don't know, I wasn't there. But she's obviously has, is a cruel person probably with mental issues because you got to be a, some kind of person to just happily yeah. inflict pain on another regardless if you think they're human or not because at this point enslaved people are just seen as property and not really people but still in Louisa like with the colonial war like there was a bar at which cruelty was set and she even went below that that's crazy mhm mm 
She sounds like she was just a rich girl trying to throw a temper tantrum at times. I mean, yeah, it could have been. Um, I mean, I'm sure her husband, she had all the money and then her husband being a doctor, there's the whole speculation on the different things that happened there. And I know we're not getting into some of that, but the, um, I'm sure it was just, they, they fed off of each other's, I don't know which type of mental illness I'm thinking, but in basic insanity at some points. Yeah. Um, if they fed off of each other's insaneness. Yeah. Uh, I know, in, like they said, oh, in the torture, he would help her, but he wasn't, he was there, but they were separated. But it's, they're, they're the couple that keeps breaking up and getting back together, even though they know for they're bad for each other. So he wasn't boarding with her, but he was going back and forth. So either way, he was complicit in the treatment of these people. I, he's very aware of what she's doing. But some people are like, oh, no, he wasn't living with her, so he didn't know. Like, you know, you're going back and forth. And he did not care. It, yeah. that The way he spoke to the judge. Like, that's a direct quote in a newspaper, y'all. Because, you know, those little gossip columns got to talk about, <laughs> especially someone as rich as they were at the time. I mean, the scandal. So, like, as far as when Nicolas Cage owned it, were there, like, any, like, haunting stories or not that I've read. Um, I haven't seen that he experienced anything in the house. Uh, he, if I'm not mistaken, Nicholas Cage just has a tendency to buy things that he thinks is cool. Just these weird eccentric artifacts and stuff or whatever, you know, he'll buy stuff. He thinks it's cool. And then whatever, sell it. He, uh, <laughs> he, he hasn't been, I think known to be very frugal with his money. He just, if he has money, he spends it on whatever he wants. Hey, I can respect that. Yeah. So at some point he bought this mansion in New Orleans. <laughs> um, so I know in the tour, they started off with the hauntings by saying like, oh, after she got, after it was found out how she was treating her slaves for the second time after the fire incident, she, when they came to arrest her, she fled in the night. And before she left, she buried all of her slaves under the floorboards and nobody could understand their screams because they were speaking in a different language because they from all from Barbados. Well, um, her second husband for a while, Louisiana didn't have the importation of, uh, African slave trade. And then he reinstated it, you know, because she's married a good guy, right? Just had to reinstate that. That's his one claim to fame. Then he dies. So, um, a lot of her slaves, like this book has a list of them. She acquired through like the American side of the like slave trading. So they either, they probably spoke some French, but they also probably spoke English. And I don't, in all the, my research, I don't see a claim that she actually put people under the floor. So I'm wondering if that's just probably a, you know, and she was never seen again type of mm. st story ending. Because, yes, she did flee um, with um, supposedly the her, her carriage driver was, in some accounts, a freed man. And in some accounts, still her slave. And almost always um, depicted as a lover of hers in one way or another as much as a per person can be the lover of someone who owns them willingly. Right. Um, her, but her and her family, like with her kids, they, 
left in the carriage and then they crossed Lake Pontchartrain and they stayed with her cousins for a couple of weeks. They went to New York because even on the tour, they admit that like the only thing we've ever had for her since is a ticket from a New York Broadway. Yeah, she went to New York and then from New York, her family fled back to France with, you know, she's only three generations removed from immigrations from France and Ireland. So she still has family there and in Ireland. So they go back to France and she died in France and she was buried in France for a long time until they exhumed her and sent her body to New Orleans to be buried. Why? Um, I don't know. I don't remember like off the top of my head thing? right now. Probably has to do with like how much her her legend has grown. I don't know, man. Look, I got ADHD. Uh, I don't remember that part. <laughs> but, but going back, I have read in a few different places that when they were renovating, you know, it to into the lux- luxury apartments that I think it currently is, apparently skeletons were pulled from the floorboards. And mm-hmm. I mean, they said it was multiple human bodies. I could be. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't put it past her. Yeah, she sounds like somebody that would do that. Some of the injuries from the people they pulled out of the um, the quarters during the fire, their wounds were infested. Oh my God, I don't know if I... With maggots. Hold on. Uh. Yeah, I know. Just... So she did not care. <laughs> Look, these people needed help. And if she, she sounds spiteful enough to... Put people under the floor. Like if I can't have them, no one can. Because she was a piece of work, y'all. I'm, I'm really wondering is what did this mansion smell like, you know, during and after all of this? Because oh, I'm sure it didn't. It's had to smell of just infection, well, right? Okay. So after she left, the town, like her neighborhood, mobbed. They were so mad at her for the way they... she. Oh, I'm getting really excited and I got to notice I got real close to my microphone. I'm going to back up for y'all. <laughs> Sorry. Because I'm getting worked up right here. They were so upset with her and so mad at her treatment of these enslaved peoples that they went into her house and tore it up. They tore up her furniture. They tore up her walls. They tore the banister off the stairs. They tore it down and then they set it on fire as a basically F you to her. Like, you're just a socialite reading like the daily like gossip column, you know, keeping track of her scandalous treatment. And then one day, you know, you during a fire, you go out in the middle of the street and you, you see all this un, inhuman horror let's say, of the treatment of these peoples and mob mentality ensues and they are just going in and destroying one of the houses of the wealthiest, like the nicest houses in New Orleans and they're just ripping it apart to shreds. So I'm sure there was a lot of looting and stuff. Like they went in and destroyed like a spiral staircase that was all their TVs. Probably. (laughs) Took yeah, all they the pulled stereo. the flat screens off the wall. They probably did. I'm going to take all your Xboxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, they always go for like the TV and the Xboxes, but they don't go for like the sewing machines and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, y'all. Um, and then after um, her, I think her son-in-law came back after it kind of calmed down. She She transferred the title to him or she sold it to him either way. And then they came in, they looked at it, you know, they're, 
they were appalled at the sight that they saw. How <laughs> dare they? And they ended up remodeling it. He stayed in there for a little bit. And then it, the building has switched hands a bunch of times since then. Um, at one point, it was a school that was just starting to uh, intersegregate and like an older boys school. Integrate? Came, yeah. Integrate, unsegregate. Sorry. <laughs> Try to think <laughs> of all the different things, like the important ones. Because most of it has just been like, hey, I'm going to sell it to this family. Hey, no, I'm going to build apartments out of it. Hey, no, I'm going to sell it to this family. Who's going to remodel it into a new single family home? I'm going to think I'm going to sell it to a school. But the the school one with the little girl, uh, it was a little girl school. And the thing with about that is when they started allowing girls of color to attend a school, an older school for boys, the boys came and like started protesting and they probably harassed and vandalized. You know, they, they were not happy about that. So then they, it stopped being a school at one point. It probably went back and forth, you know, more apartments and single family homes. Nicholas Cage got his, you know, got a kick out of it at one point. And right now it is a single family home. And the lady, when she redecorated it, she incorporated some imagery that reflects the history of the house. Like there's a bunch of like chair, like dark cherubs and stuff. It's really cool. And as I remember looking at pictures online, so you might be able to find pictures online. I'm not too sure about that. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Sammy, a lot of dark energy around this place. Uh, so if, if there's a place primed for hauntings, I think, uh, I think this one definitely fits that bill. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, we got possible dead husbands following <laughs> around. We got I mean, dead kids in the backyard. We got possible people under the floorboards. If anyone deserves to be haunted, she deserves to be haunted. I, I hope they followed her to 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 France, you know, and yeah. she was just miserable. Like she would just constantly have just like, you know, sand particles in her eyes and she can never be comfortable. <laughs> now, some people like, obviously the hauntings are debatable because some people can say it, you know, they can either talk away some happenings or they get embellished through like the ghost tours and stuff like that. But um, it's speculated that there is kind of a curse because it no owner owns it more than a couple years and then they either get into financial trouble or they have to bail for some other reason. So the fact that it keeps transitioning hands is kind of like a paranormal curse in and of itself. Hmm. If I own this place and it wasn't haunted, I would keep it forever, you know, because it's a badass mansion in New Orleans. <laughs> but why would you get rid of it? Clearly, it's haunted. Yeah, clearly. I mean, that's that's a lot of house for one family, though. Yeah, I think it. So after it was rebuilt after the fire um, and, you know, basically being demolished from the inside by an angry mob, that's when they rebuilt it and they added the third story. Oh, OK. Yeah. Uh I really don't have any more in this house because y'all, it's such a downer. <laughs> that place sucks. That place sucks. She sucked. She was a terrible person. Spit like, on her I grave. Guarantee, I guarantee you when she was a child, she tortured animals. Hands oh, down. Oh God. Yeah. That's, that's how the psychopaths start. This sounds start. like somebody that would be called a serial killer nowadays for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> Saucy pasta. I mean, she, this how she passed her time on the boat over here and just drowning her yeah. ass overboard. So has there ever been like a movie or anything based on this? I don't think so. 
it would make a pretty good horror movie, but I worry. Well, I mean, I guess American Horror Story is the closest it's gotten for a while. Well, I see the creators of The Conjuring apparently had talks to do a LaLaurie Mansion horror franchise, it says. Um, but that was in 2019, and I have not heard anything about it. The thing with her is it's hard to to talk about her and like to show what she did without getting into just gore porn and turning it into a version of Saw for Slaves, and that just does is not cool. It's not cool. Right. It's not a bad look. It's a bad look. We don't. Yeah, we don't probably need to why glorify it hasn't her yeah. any more than she's already been glorified. Yeah, it, it'd be honestly probably a hard sell on just like the bank to get the loan. What's this movie about? We're gonna. Uh, Have we not seen the Django Unchained? <laughs> okay. Did you say the Django? <laughs> that movie is a hard movie. Yeah, to watch. I feel like he just. What, what's how? Did, it's Django Unchained, not the Django Unchained. <laughs> <laughs> Not the. I thought it was. I thought no. I had a D in the front of it. It's a, it's it's like I never even finished this movie. Silent That's a, it's a sneaky uh, D. Gotcha. Sneaky D. It's like sneaky D. <laughs> sneaky D. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. I'm just saying that's a hard movie to watch at times. Um. I haven't seen it, but um. My fifth graders and my young fifth grade teacher got me on the TikToks. No the boy. Tick of talks. The Tic Tacs. The Tic Tacs. Yeah. Um, and I watched a woman talk about Antebellum. And I, I know a little bit about Antebellum. I haven't watched that movie yet. I don't know how a LaLaurie movie would compare to that one yet. But I hear Antebellum's really unsettling. Like, really bad. So, I don't know that we need to put this woman's uh, legacy out there on film for the masses yeah. to just watch like a Saw movie. Um, Actually a good point. Just let her legacy rot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm seeing like, so she's been in a bunch of like different, like ghost story type things. People have made comics about her or like to, to depict her and her husband as like little mad scientists in a basement. Like, first of all, we don't have basements in Louisiana. The water table's too high. No, no, we don't. I would love a basement. I would love a basement too. I mean, I mean, you could have one. It would just be like an underground swimming pool. Yeah, yeah. Or, or just. Well, I think a lot of a lot of houses in New Orleans would be two story, and they'll refer to the lower level as the basement. Yeah, I think in New Orleans there's actually um, a system of tunnels that they tried doing, like a uh, a subway system. Someone told me, and it didn't work because obvious reasons. Yeah, that sounds like a really bad idea. <laughs> but like, yes, yeah, supposedly they're still like there. They're just like shut down, like shut up, closed. So I'm looking at other pop culture references for this terrible person. Um, and someone mentioned like in one of their stories, they're saying that she used slave blood as like a elixir of life beauty regiment like Elizabeth Bathory basically I and thought I had like a type point. to do that yeah, I was gonna yes I mean she's terrible she probably I wouldn't put it past her but there wasn't any evidence in my research that that actually was a thing oh my god Sawgust no I just you um really loud that alert that oh, the- from your your text thing oh um 
I don't want to go into the underground drainage system in New Orleans. It, that's where the ghost energy lies, though. Yeah, that, that sounds static. like a bad time. It sounds like a gross time. I'd rather be with a real ghost. I'd rather <laughs> sleep in Metairie cemeteries. That's a lot of roaches. Are you kidding me? This is the real thing? Like the underground? I, so. <clears throat> I, remember, I remember somebody telling me about it, but I never looked so into like, it. I know there's been a lot of different cities and I was just thinking about it. Y'all, you know, we're talking about basement, we're talking about first floor, ground level, things like that. There's been a lot of cities that's flooded over the times that once they flood, for some reason, the city feels the need to let's just bury the original floor. Have you heard of things like this happening? So like apparently, supposedly it happened in where I lived up in Rome when the river flooded at one point. Rome, Georgia, not, not Italy. They, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I had always heard, and I don't know if this is true, so we might have somebody from Rome that says, hey, no, that wasn't true. But supposedly the story was that when the river flooded back in the day, because there's a mark on one of the buildings, and it says that that was the highest it got. Well, supposedly, instead of redoing everything, that first floor, the first basic, what would have been the ground level, was basically raised and like everything was backfilled and basically it was all forgotten and it was just all filled over. And then the, the, what would have been the second floor became the ground level. Well, I know there's something that's been going around lately that people talk about. I'm not entirely sure what it's about. We're going to have to do an episode on it, but they call it the mud flood. And that's exactly what they're talking about is like a big mud flood that basically covered the first level of cities. And it's interesting because if I remember right, um, when we went to Eureka Springs, Arkansas, they, uh, I'm pretty sure they had the same thing happen over there where what used to be the first floor, they've now built up the ground and those are now basements. And we actually went on a little tour, like going through some of those, those lower levels that were basically underground now. That's interesting. I mean, Hey, it may, it may be more cost effective just to build a level higher instead of trying to <laughs> dig out all the mud that piled up around your property. Yeah, but uh, other than that, I don't. I have no idea what to say for this for the mansion and for her. I mean, I'm at a loss of words for the whole story for everything. I mean, I'd be interested to hear if there was other haunted stories about personal experiences nowadays. Uh, next time I'm down in New Orleans, I'm going to have to swing by there and kind of try and check it out. I haven't. You would think out of all the times I've been, I'd seen it, but I'm not sure if I've ever actually been in front yeah, of Yeah, I was looking at uh, Google Maps a little while ago, and it's not too far from Bourbon Street, which I've definitely been on, but I don't think I've ever been actually in front of this place. Well, it doesn't necessarily stand out a lot. I mean, all those big, whatever, two, three-story buildings, mansions and everything else, they all look the same when they're all next to each other. Yeah. So if you wouldn't know where it was, you wouldn't. it wouldn't stand out to anyone. Yeah, I mean, the... The French Quarter is so iconic. Just everything looks like that, you know? It doesn't really yeah. stand out by itself. Yeah, Jonathan, it, it looks like it's uh, two blocks down and one block over. From the blacksmith shop? Which I've definitely been in front of the blacksmith shop, so I, I probably have to. been in front of the lorry. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. The Well, there was something I heard about the blacksmith shop. Um, not, I don't know if it's the... It's not the oldest standing building in the French Quarter, but it's something about it being one of the oldest something in the area. Maybe it's the oldest bar. I know it. I mean, I just always love, remember that because of Jean Lafitte, and that's where the the you know 
all the pirate stories came from. And then the pirates would go to the blacksmith shop and that's how he kind of sold everything off. But I, I'm getting completely off topic now, but the, uh, um, so apparently at one point they did have some psychic mediums go into the Lori mansion. Of course they did. Of course they did. Well, why, why, why wouldn't they? Who? Yo, I just got to make something clear. I don't mean to offend anybody that believes in that stuff, but I think psychics <laughs> are so full of shit. Oh, I got uh, nothing for it. You know, like it's, I, I wouldn't say it doesn't exist, but I believe most people that come out with it are just completely full of shit. They're just taking advantage. I think they're really good at reading people. And so they can start, they're really good at starting vague and reading body language and answers and this and that and kind of like... Oh, yeah, it's a skill. It's just not a supernatural skill. Yeah. It, it, yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's cold reading. But do I think uh, they're talking to the dead people? Absolutely not. Not generally. They'd make good poker players. <laughs> uh, apparently, Madame herself was perceived on the property. Oh, of course she was. Her spirit is huge and pervades the whole block. She has her eye on everything. She is flattered that people have kept her story alive and she likes being remembered, even in a negative way. She thrives on activity, even the tour groups that come every night and their fear feeds her spirit. However, I mean, does that describe like a narcissist? Yes. Was the oh, for sure. Yeah. If she was a ghost, she would absolutely love the fear instilled on people. Right. So, I mean, from what we know about her, she does seem like she was probably an entitled, rich, possibly narcissistic, like narcissistic, just seems like that would fit her. Yeah. So, of course, apparently they noticed a rank odor of decomposition in the house. I'm sure they did. And sensed dark and heavy energy and the presence of smoke and flames. Um, it's widely known... First of all, I think New Orleans itself, in general, has almost burned to the ground like at least five times. There was like a period in that that stage between colonialism and after the Louisiana Purchase, where it just there was fires all the time. You had fires. I mean, and you had back then they were trying to put fi- they were trying to put fires out with buckets of water in a line of people back then, right? Yeah. Where everything is made with like hay made into the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all these wood fact, buildings side by side. For a fact, this wood, this residence had put down. So if you just walk into a room and like, I smell the scent of smoke and it feels hot like flames. Yes, that sounds so right. I mean, there was a it fire right now, here now. on the property. This medium's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, apparently an overseer type entity has been sensed on the property. However, I don't. But that entity says the overseer has spoken that there were some good days and bad ones, yet doubt and fear throughout it all. If we escape the fate of those so slow, the next day it could have been us and the threat was always near. Madam masked well and her party face was quite different from the one that lay behind it. She had her way to tease you and fear was her friend. I saw through her. May she burn in hell. I love it that he's just like, man, fuck this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this this fake ass bitch. 
Um, the ghost said that Dr. Lalori did know what was going on, but he was not as cold, well, not as uh, hot-tempered as Madam. He was cold and dispassionate and ignored us. So there was one other location I had originally wanted to talk about. Do we have time? I'd like to be able to get into that topic because that was another one I was interested in. I just didn't know if y'all wanted to go in through that tonight what? or we've already hit this amount of time. Do we have a we can talk chance about to our- get you if you want, um, I'm I'm kind of like on a downer mode from this this <laughs> info dump well, of history. Well, I don't. We don't. We don't have as much detail on, on this other one. Yeah. Um, so it shouldn't take as long to get well, through. Y'all, y'all told me y- y'all have fun and talk about random crap, and we just went down an info dump of some of the most like boring history. Are are there going to be cryptids and paranormal on this paranormal podcast? There, there will be because this next place is about vampires <gasps> and how we brought vampires to America. Okay, so let's play this game. What do y'all think about vampires? Real or no? No, they're real. You no. think so? I'm I'm the guy that's going to say everything's real. So I'm, it's real. <laughs> um. I'm going to have to say probably not, despite what my TikTok showed me the other day. Yeah, I feel like the guy in, in the, doing an interview the, like he was a real one. The typical vampire, supernatural, that kind of thing, like immortal, probably not. But do I think there are people that drink blood and sharpen their teeth and think they're vampires? Yes. Those, yes. yeah. That's, yes. <laughs> a, a. Thousand-year-old immortal entity? Probably not. I'm just saying, there's people you get around, and they totally suck the life out of everything. Yes, well, those are um, <laughs> what is it? Energy social vampires, vampires. Yeah. yeah, psychic vampires, psychic vampires. Yeah, actually, uh, that's also like a symptom of some, um, like one of the things they call like ADHD when you hyperfocus on something to the point where like it mentally and physically drains you is a form of like. Just so are you saying are you a vampire? I mean, did I marry we've been married va- for thirteen years. You should no, know no, by now. No, you're right. You eat way too much garlic. Like <laughs> I love garlic. You cannot put enough garlic in my food. But what if that was just a thing? What if vampires were out there like, let's just start these random ass rumors? That, like, <laughs> yeah. That rumor. yeah, for sure. My, I'm not a vampire. I like garlic too much. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm told my husband complains that his mustache smells like garlic after I've cooked something with garlic because that's how much <laughs> garlic I I use. Um yeah, yeah. it doesn't just uh, save flavors, it saves odors as well. The yeah. mustache. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he calls it the garlic butter mustache. And honestly, that tastes del- sounds delicious. <laughs> Garlic <not>. butter, best. <laughs> Melt. No, the worst would be when I'm working out in the sun all day, and then like the sweat from my mustache, like right under my nose, of just like garlic, and like, oh god, it's horrible. Nah, you good. <laughs> anyway, apparently, in the early 1700s, whenever. God, I guess New Orleans was, I guess, pretty young then, man. Like, I don't think there's a whole lot going on. Uh, apparently, Francis King Louis sent a group of nuns to either help out with education or who knows what, you know, just to, to help out with things. So they started a convent 
And I believe their first one either burned down or got destroyed. Oh, it couldn't handle the humidity of South Louisiana. I don't know if you guys have, have noticed the humidity outside, um, but the, the way they built the structure couldn't handle it. So the second one they built, which I believe is the one that's standing today, maybe, maybe not, uh, is kind of was their, their main one is the Ursuline convent. And so let's go with uh, the fake stuff first. So allegedly <laughs> they uh, carried these coffin shaped um, caskets with them. And that of course isn't true, but you know, some of the legend says that they had undead in these caskets and they were sealed with nails blessed by the Pope. Oh, they absolutely and they were, had those. And they were stored on the third level of this convent. And allegedly at some point, you know, later in time, a nun went to go check on them and they were opened up and empty, uh, alluding to that vampires were actually inside of these and they were unleashed onto America through these nuns from France. So human trafficking? Yeah. Yes. Human trafficking <laughs> for vampires. We call cryptid carrying. Yes. Um, and supposedly these girls, you know, these nuns were very pale and quiet and people thought they themselves, you know, something wasn't right with them. Where were well, they coming from? France. Well, that's why they were pale. Well, yeah. Jeremy, the nuns were not the casket girls. Were they not? No. See? Oh my God. I, I, know, oh, I know a lot of history. This is, this is why I hit my head when I listen to your podcast. <laughs> Because the nuns, yes, they built, you know, they had, they were living in the nunnery that got built for them, the monastery, the convent. When, um, I don't know if you know this, but usually when a place is colonized, like um, Canada, Louisiana, Australia, it's usually men that show up first and a very few bring wives with them or have wives already. And some do die on the boat, long boat journey over. So in this instance, Bienville requested more women from France. And so... Yeah, I'd like to place an order for uh, 25 women. Yeah, there's um, some bitches over here. Yes. But yeah. Um, so... Delivery, please. Yeah, so these girls come over... The, with their little cassettes, which is a box of their <laughs> luggage is in. It has like their jewels, you know. They're basically starting a new lives, so they want to take as much of their personal property as they can. Now, you can't have a nice young woman of virtue just out on the street. So they need to go to a convent where the nuns can watch them under the care of the Lord until a husband is properly found for these young women. Okay. So I only skipped one step then. I only skipped the step of the cast girls weren't the nuns. Other than that, my story still holds up. Also, supposedly the blessed um, nails were for the uh, shutters. Vampires. For the windows at the top, Jeremy. A lot of, but y'all, those, those are, those are hurricane shutters. I know a lot of places online say they need to be nailed shut. They're, they just work different because they're hurricane shutters, y'all. 
<laughs> we we get hurricanes in Louisiana like a lot. I don't know if y'all noticed. Hurricane? I, so I don't remember any hurricane. What's a what's a hurricane? And why do we need blessed nails if it's not for vampires? I don't know. Does, does the Pope have nothing better to do than bless nails? <laughs> yeah, like for real though. <laughs> like, what are you doing today? <laughs> well, I got you know thousands of nails. I need to bless. They're going to be building some vampire coffins. Imagine yeah. waking up and finding that on your desk in the morning and be like, <laughs> "The fuck is this?" Like, oh, well, in one of our colonies, we need these nails to hold in the vampires. Well, we're going to be trafficking some, I mean, um, there's some vampire, I mean, uh, just bless them. Yeah. (laughs) But like as a pope, okay, but like Catholics love when their shit is blessed, though. So imagine all the weird things popes have to bless throughout their lives. Oh, I'm sure. But seriously, because you know a farmer would roll up and they're like, hey, I'm about to do some crops. Can you bless this hoe for me? Uh, you know, make sure it's a good turnout this year. Um, I personally, when I was growing up, I was my family raised me Catholic because I am Cajun. My family did come from both France and Spain, two Catholic countries. So, yes, I was raised Catholic. I Further evidence had, that you're a vampire from yes, France. obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had rosaries. That's easy, but I, they would make me like get my. I think my mom got my. Like she bought me a chain and some earrings with my initials on them that she got blessed, which I kind of is kind of weird. Just random stuff like that. Catholics get all kind of stuff blessed. Do you think there's oh. such thing as a uh, drive drive through uh, blessing? Like churches that have a uh, window, like hey, I just need this blessed, but I'm in a hurry. Well, I don't know if it's normally, but that was definitely a thing during the pandemic, I heard. No shit. <laughs> yes. Drive yeah, by blessings. Social distance. Look, I always, so not a good Catholic little girl. I used to cut up and I definitely made more than one joke about like a drive by blessing and a drive by of like ashing when you get Ash Wednesdays. Y'all, and COVID hit. And they were doing that for reals. I came, I came up with that in my own little <laughs> town. That was my idea. You were like, yeah, you're a visionary. You're ahead of the time. You know, I haven't been a practicing Catholic since my late teen years. And for some reason, the other day, I came upon a bottle of holy water that I know I was blessed in my early teen years. So I don't, it's the ADHD hoarder part of me. <laughs> So I'm prepared for vampires in my house. We still have that holy water. I have holy water and it's blessed. Well, what if fair? it works like garlic and it doesn't actually do anything to I, him? Does holy water expire? <laughs> Here's the thing. I've never seen her touch the liquid that's in that bottle. So I don't mm. know if she's a vampire or not. I don't think I've ever opened it. Maybe I opened it once. Nope. I don't know. I don't know, man. Mm. Um, anyway, more fun history with this, the main convent in New Orleans is in, I don't know when it was, but for sure in 1920, they were digging up and they found some bones and stuff. And uh, I think on our tour, they said there was like hundreds of like infant to children sets of bones, like hidden in walls and under buildings and stuff like that. Um, But I don't remember much about why that would have happened unless maybe, you know, people went there for, I don't know, natal care or birth care and stuff like that and 
maybe the ones that didn't make it just got buried. I don't know. And not recorded or maybe something more illicit was going on. I don't know. So I know that I questioned my grandmother when I first read about this in high school. And she said she always heard that it was the nuns babies that they were burying because Mm -hmm. we historically know that women get sent to nunneries for a lot of different reasons, not all the time under their own free will. Um, and that could be reasoned. Also, at one point, uh, it worked as a orphanage. The nuns ran an orphanage through the convent. So children would have been coming in and out. Mothers who are either widowed or become pregnant through nefarious means often get sent to convents because of shame. So yes, there's probably a lot of infants and children going in and out of this building. And historically, uh, we haven't always had the best maternal health care. Now that we have, it's great now. Uh, childbirth is dangerous. So women and children are constantly dying. The New Orleans had several pandemics of yellow fever and uh, flus, influences, stuff like that. So a lot of death happens in New Orleans. So somewhere with young children like this definitely was seeing a lot of that. And you run out of space sometimes. So I could see maybe where they would just bury them where they could. And it's, and it's especially dangerous when the nuns birthing your children are actually vampires. Uh, that take him out back, drain and be like, sorry, your baby didn't make it. So what do they call them? If, if we call it country fried steak and it's a veal because it's a baby cow, um, what do the vampires call when they drink baby children? I don't know. A snack? <laughs> we'll have to ask the Hollywood elite. Um, do you think Delphine uh, was a uh, vampire? Because apparently I'm looking at the map and... Lalaurie Mansion is like on the other the other block, like literally a block away. Block down. Well, okay. So the French Quarter, especially in New Orleans, is not huge. Everything is one or two blocks from something. But I guess some people thought she might have been, but I don't think we have any evidence other than she was just a psychopath. Well, I don't think vampires leave a lot of evidence behind. I think that's why we can't find them. Mm Hmm. Um. True. The, and and uh, wait, 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 and where did she? She ended up back in France, didn't she? She went back to France, yes. France where she quote unquote died. Vampires. Okay, I said went back to. She was born in Louisiana, y'all, just to clarify. She <laughs> went back. She went to France where her family had once come from. So she had, she went to stay with relatives in there. She was getting hell out of Dodge. Yeah, she was running away as the coward she was, who was just in denial that for the rest of her life that she did anything wrong. She deserved to meet a vampire. Who's to say she didn't go to France and then just keep on living as a vampire? And she quote-unquote died. Um, apparently, New Orleans has a famous vampire called uh, Jacques Saint-Germain, the infamous Louisiana vampire. Was he friends with Lestat? You know, I was always more of a fan of Louis myself. 
But that just could have been the difference between Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. <laughs> also, I was like four when I first saw that movie. Yeah, I need to rewatch it. I haven't watched that movie in years. Yeah, so I think it came out when I was four. And Anne Rice is probably one of the reasons we associate casket girls with vampires. I guess we ought to start wrapping this up. Oh, we didn't do. We didn't talk about anything. Not at all. No, we didn't. Welcome to podcasting. Where where are all we, our cryptids at? <laughs> we talked about vampires and ghosts. What do you want from me? Uh, I want to talk about. I'm. I mean, this is. I'm kind of. We didn't mention Arugaru once. Well, that was in a previous episode. Okay, we didn't. You didn't talk about the famous vampire. We didn't talk about the. Y'all, I was researching actual <laughs> cryptid stuff like I thought your podcast was supposed to be. We don't do that. We, did, we didn't talk about, apparently, there's something around New Orleans called the Grunch. Yeah, like I, when you research like New Orleans cryptids, that comes up, but I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that either. That was a thing <laughs> I learned. Uh, also, the Honey Swamp Monster. Never heard of that. That sounds delicious. I think I've heard of that. Now I've heard of Honey Swamp. You heard it? Yeah, the Honey Swamp Monster is basically a Bigfoot. Um, <laughs> but that's on that's out there on, I mean, I think it's actually called Honey Island. It's it's right there on the border for Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. one of my friends, I think, goes shoot out there at some kind of shooting range. Um, there's also the Fola Leaves, the, uh, basically the swamp version of the Will-O-The-Wisps. We didn't get to talk about. I want to talk oh. about. So no, I want to talk about the Grunch now. Uh, its last sighting was in 2007, apparently, though it started back in the 1700s. And now I'm wondering, it's some type of like reptilian chupacabra. It's explained yes. as yeah, the pictures look crazy. I wonder, like, it's I think some rich person had like a pet Komodo dragon, and somebody saw it, and it's like that the start of the story. You know, <laughs> that's my personal uneducated theory. Yikes. Well, a lot of this stuff we can always come back to and touch another episode. Oh, yeah. We're definitely going to have some some episodes out there for that. Yeah. I, I was worried about it when I started seeing how long we were getting and we hadn't talked about the vampires yet. But I mean, that just gives us more to build on later. Well, we went through that weird, long, lalori, just... History pile, dump? History <laughs> dump of a pile of horror. I got some good good listener stories. So I have uh I have one that I'm hoping to get from somebody I met over the weekend. So we'll we'll have to talk about that on a different one, but hopefully we can have a Bigfoot episode for that. Oh, yeah. Um I have another listener story that would make a really good exorcism episode. So I'm just kind of hinting at that for now, so maybe we can do a an episode on exorcism. Might be fun. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of good exorcism stories out there. Like a lot. And that we can also like probably trace back to a lot of like the way mental illness is treated in this country. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But if you enjoyed this episode and you want to help support the podcast, share it with your friends. Follow us on all the social medias. Leave a rating, review, all those good things. Check out the website, strangewoodspodcast.com. Get us those stories, people. The more listener submissions we got, the the better. You don't always have to hear us talk if you record them, like our friend Jeremy did. Uh, I, I do enjoy his little stories that he got to us, and you know maybe if he 
reaches out with some answers for us from anything we've talked about about his stories uh they've been interesting to hear and we actually have a discord now um that's starting to get get a little momentum we got a few people in there so if you ever want to come in and discuss it with us join our discord we have a invite on the website so you just click on that and sign up and chat and talk about it and if you want to be a guest on a future episode um you email us and we'll get back to you about scheduling a date and time to have you on here. We can maybe interview you or we could just have you on for the episode. Anybody else have anything? No, I think I was trying to think. I don't, I don't think I got anything else. No, I think you covered it. Yeah. Hit us up on socials, email us. Oh, and I'm working on some stickers and shirts in case anybody wants them. I've had a couple of people ask. And if you watch, if you are on Discord, you get to see all the cool shit Peter makes. So yeah. there's there's a lot of interesting things that comes out of that little. Yeah, my 3D printer creator. Yeah, 3D printer. I blanked out for a second. The uh, but yeah, you've been cranking some cool stuff out over there. I try. But thank you all for listening. Uh, as always, enjoy talking about this kind of stuff with everyone. Hope uh, hope we're building a little community of curiosities and you know, reach out. Oh yeah. No, I would love for this to grow into just people just telling us their stories of, you know, what they've experienced. And I think that'd be great. I think it'd be really cool too. Oh, and uh, thank you, Brittany, for coming on here, chatting with us. No problem. I hope that what I had to say was informative. I'm the content is pretty dark. I'm not going to, you know, (laughs) ask it that was good um well, i wanted I to tell you something though you you came on our our podcast and like was informative what the hell yep we don't do that Look, you you've specifically told me i have to talk <laughs> about this and look, y'all sat. So I have listened to a couple of your podcasts before. Y'all are just joking around and crap. Y'all were like, Brittany, they want you to come and talk about this thing. So prepare. Talk about this thing. But don't prepare too much because we don't do that here. But then, like, prepare. So I refreshed my memory, took a couple of notes, and I did the thing. I was informative. And y'all just... I felt the mood just go down because it's not a fun topic. And it was what I remember. And I didn't want to like just quote statistics and dates at y'all too much. And what the hell, guys? (laughs) And when she says y'all, she means me. (laughs) I, I think it was a it was a good mix up for, you know, I kind of. I, I dove a little bit into the history side on when I did that Pacific Northwest episode and I wasn't as prepared. Uh, but, you know, I think it's it's good to get a couple of the, the background stories out there. No, I, I like to learn I mean, something. Yeah. These ghost stories that people tell, you know, in modern times, you know, when we're all telling them, oh, I experienced this and that. Well, I mean, we got sometimes we need to know where that background comes from. So Okay. Well, um, I wouldn't mind doing another longer form one if y'all want me to specifically reach out or one of the fun ones where y'all actually come in here and we talk about cool monster stuff. Yeah. We definitely like, need to get into some more monster stuff because we haven't yes. really done any uh, like actual cryptids too much. No, nope. not yet. Nope. And I am just Ian Malcoming this podcast. Like when, <laughs> when are there going to be cryptids on this paranormal podcast? Right. Well, if, like I said, if I can well, get this guy to uh, give us some story for uh, this Bigfoot topic I have, 
it's going to be a good one. But anyway, this this was a fun episode. As as fun as the dark history gets, I guess. Oh, it was starting to get fun toward the end, and then we ran out of time. And I'm sorry for being so long winded. Yeah. No, I think you're good. I think you're good. The uh, I enjoyed it, and you know, if you do want to come back for another episode, that's fine by me too. Well, so. I have all this equipment that my husband bought for me to do this. So, <laughs> what else am I going to use it for?